0: Kidman is a good applicant on paper. He is. His resume swells with work experiences, inflated accomplishments, and tenuous, at best, relevant skills that really just brags about things he's no longer very good at. Like his Year 8 Geography Prize, and his best ever 50 meter freestyle time. 27 seconds. That's pretty fast. Be assured, Matthew Kidman is excellent on paper. He is. And perhaps he would allow his spinal column a little elasticity and stop sweating so profusely and just generally mellow if he had any kind of confidence that he is as excellent in person. He sits very upright. Like a flagpole and this is because some part of Maddie's brain is convinced that the uprightness with which he sits is being somehow tested. i will call him in soon. Other parts of Maddie's brain are busy just avalanching neuroses into his internal monologue. It's hard to express many of these thoughts as passable sentences. Most of them are closer to dark colours, frantic string music or otherwise incoherent panicked sounds. His brain is very loud. This is kind of what it's like. This tie is making too much of a statement. I have intermediate experience with Excel and I'm a very fast learner. What's force of mortality again? I should have gone stripes. My greatest weakness is that I work too hard. I wonder if somewhere else in this galaxy there's a little alien actuary graduate just like me sitting in a waiting room that's just like this one only green instead of beige. Mum was right. Again. Maybe I should start the interview with a joke. I feel like force of mortality has got something to do with annualized life tables. Have to start measuring my life in coffee spoons. I hate beige ties choking me. No, yeah, I really should start with a joke. Who invented zippers? And how? Okay. A, a, a Queenslander, an insurance salesman, and an actuary walk into a bar where you pay compound interest on every sip you take of your drink. Oh god. Did I brush my teeth? Maddie Kidman knows that each of these thoughts contribute, cumulatively, to the rising of his heart rate and the hydraulic pressure of his back sweat. He feels the weight of it all. Maddie really wishes he could just totally stop thinking, switch his brain off at the fuse box, make his cerebellum go floppy, start openly drooling, stare blankly at the beige office walls. But that is functionally impossible. Force of mortality has something to do with the cumulative distribution function of the continuous age-of-death random variable. Ah, fuck, I forgot about my Hex debt. His head is a screaming mess of actuarial information and statistically accurate self-criticisms and deeply repressed memories that have chosen this exact moment to return to conscious thought. Like how he'd gone a whole 17 years having never heard the word rendezvous said out loud, at least not in connection with its smug French spelling, and so he'd assumed it was pronounced phonetically. And then one day in high school, to try to impress his teacher and classmates in this girl he liked called Margot Robbie, no relation, he'd slipped it into an analytical speech he was required to do on Kate Chopin's coming-of-age novel, The Awakening. With disastrous results. Rendezvous, vos, was how he'd said it. He's really starting to sweat now. The air conditioner whirs and swirls his brain. The walls are so oppressively beige that it feels like they're starting to gang up on him or at least inch closer together. This chair is made of harsh steel beams and seemed, to Maddie, to be part of the whole malicious conspiracy. He feels like he's maybe internally bleeding and there's a phone ringing somewhere in the office that no one is answering and his email address is his entire name followed by five random numbers of no significance at all. They'll call him in really soon. A businesswoman walks out of the boardroom where they're holding interviews and looks at Maddie and keeps walking. Jesus. The failure to be relaxed is quickly becoming Maddie's biggest reason for failing to be able to relax. What does business casual actually fucking mean? It's identical to hazard function and it has something to do with the instantaneous rate of mortality, but what's the formula again? I just want to watch The Mentalist all day. He wonders if maybe a cool and interesting approach might be to say to the interviewer when he is finally let in that he is in fact so overcome with nerves he thinks he might die. Of course he'd have to deliver this crushing truth with a degree of charisma he just objectively, mathematically does not possess. He doesn't ooze charm. All he's oozing at the moment is salt water. Maddie hates what happens to him when he sweats. It makes him feel particularly betrayed by the machine elements of his body, the enzymes and glands and so on, which he had assumed were on his team. It makes him think of his body as a supermassive corporation, and individual beads of sweat like disgruntled, low-level employees, seeping out angrily, spitefully. He imagines his droplets of perspiration doing the kind of invisible, thanklessly industrious, poorly paid, paper-pushing, busy-working, entry-level grad job that he is sitting in this room waiting to be appraised for. God, I hope I don't have to do too much. God, I hope I'm not bored. Force of mortality is an extremely precise calculation of the likelihood of death at any given moment. They must call him in soon. After a brief and stifled struggle, Maddie regains control of his breathing and militantly forces his chest to inflate and deflate in a calming, but well, still militant, rhythm. He aggressively pictures a serene body of water. It is blue-grey and completely still, hauntingly still. It's a little freaky, actually. So he pictures the water lolling gently and imagines it being disturbed from below by mighty fish. This is a mistake. Fish imagery is very pungent, multisensory. He closes his eyes and tries to watch the ephemeral shapes form on his eyelids without looking at them. Maddie remembers all the business people he'd locked eyes with on the long, tunnelled walk from Wynyard to this room. He wonders if any of them were able to see the true, frantic terror that lay beneath his eyes, as if maybe the actual liquid surface of his eyeballs might have lulled and rippled as if disturbed from below by mighty fish. Again with the fish. And if they could see this terror in his eyes, why didn't they do anything to help? Force of Mortality really is a terrible name for a maths equation. He feels like he has somehow fallen deeper inside his own brain. I am an ideal candidate. Like his eyes have zoomed out and he is watching his immediate surroundings from far away. A microsecond out of sync. I am a candidate. Like he is somehow separated from himself and the world by an ultra-thin piece of glass. I think I am a candidate. He is the smallest doll in a babushka doll Looking out from somewhere deep within I think I am a candidate And therefore I am a candidate And Maddie, Sunk into a sinking spiral of thoughts is in the middle of using his tie To dab at his forehead sweat When suddenly A bald white man in a charcoal suit Sticks his head out of the boardroom and says Thanks for waiting Shouldn't be too much longer. And that is just about the death of any hope that Maddie Kidman had of keeping his screaming thoughts at bay. He thinks about how fucked the passage of time can be. He thinks about how the little enzymes inside of him seem to have brains of their own. He thinks about all the little disparate moments that led him to this room and how each of them are connected. He thinks about that little green alien actuary spinning in neurotic hyperdrive into its own green and alien future. He thinks about a machine that could tell him what the hell these maniac interviewers are thinking. He thinks in screaming messy colours and sounds. It seems like his brain is not on his team either. He's afraid of it, and all the thinking that it does. It's hard to read your own mind sometimes. Harder still to understand it. The air conditioner whirs on, and yet it cools him, not at all. This room is exactly room temperature, but Maddie Kidman is burning up. That phone is still ringing. Time does not pass, did not pass, will not be passing. He looks gravely at his resume and wonders how much of himself he hacked away to fit onto an A4 piece of paper. There was no space for him to list all the things that he's afraid of, to rank the things he loves, to say that even now, at 24 years of age, he feels like he's never once spelt restaurant correctly on the first go. They'll call him in soon. Maddie notices that the minute hand on his watch hasn't moved in some time. Immediately, unthinkingly, he begins internally calculating the probability of his watch dying at this exact moment versus the transportation of his sweaty, corporeal self into some kind of purgatory. A beige hell beyond time. 50-50, he decides. And here, sitting in an eternal moment, impatiently, still writhing in the awful chair. Maddie finds himself confronted and afraid of the fact that he is a real human person. This is something he sometimes forgets. The thought snaps him out of himself, back to the surface. He becomes suddenly serene, spectator to the thoughts avalanching all around. They are proof that he is real, alive, conscious, proof of his personhood. And he realises that the root cause of all this sweating and waiting room purgatory is a simple fear that he might get lost and swallowed up somewhere in this world of numbers and risk and ringing phones. Or else be painted entirely beige, like the walls. There's just no room for any of this on Matthew Kidman's A4 resume. So he remains a good applicant on paper. He is... And when his name is called, if it's ever called, if he doesn't sweat himself to death first, a piece of paper is what he knows he will and must become. Hello! Uh, welcome back. Thanks for being here. That was Maddie Kidman Waits Maybe Forever. Episode 1 of this third series of These Stories Are Not Real. Just a bit of admin to cover before we get to the fun blooper at the end. Um, I recently got a job, so I don't have as much time and I'll be releasing these episodes every fortnight, every second Wednesday. Also follow it on Instagram, that would be really helpful. I do more regular writing things at allmyeggs.substack.com. The link for that is in the show notes. Big thank you to Nick Lely who redid the colour scheme uh, of the artwork that he originally designed. You can find him in the show notes. And thank you, as always, to Dr. Helen Wolfenden, who's now really under no obligation to educate me, but continues to do so. And yeah, I hope you can come back in two weeks for a love story. Until then, I'll leave you with this reminder that the 9-to-5 grind can really change you. The other day, I sent three emails to three different people asking the people that I was emailing for other people's email addresses. So, obviously, that's going to that's gonna change me. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. It is 7.57am, which when I used to wake up is basically the crack of dawn and I'm about to cross all six lanes of Penny Hills Road. Right? Probably hear the cars. Just to feel something. Just to feel alive. It doesn't significantly shorten my commute. It just reminds me that I am mortal, that I exist, and that you know People die. Okay, you know what? There it is. Yep, school zones, you gotta love them. Ah. Oh man. Everybody's working fun!